Welcome to David and David on Real Estate. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of the real estate market and dive deep to understand the issues affecting buyers, sellers, investors, and businesses. If you love real estate as much as we do, sit back, relax, and gain an insider's edge to the exciting world of real estate. David Gorski is a broker and the owner of Sutton Summit Realty, a powerhouse brokerage providing guidance to over 180 realtors. And David Corman is a partner at Corman's LLP, a respected law firm specializing in residential and commercial real estate transactions with offices located in Toronto, Mississauga, and Markham. Good morning, David, and welcome to podcast number... Oh my God. Lucky number 18, I think. Lucky number 18. Oh my goodness. Can't believe it's been 18 podcasts already. I'm super, it's actually been more because we did two special editions as well. So, um, you know, we're, we're getting up there. Yeah. Yeah. No, we've covered uh, some interesting things so far and we got some, uh, some really good things to talk about today. We, we really do. Uh, it's been uh, really interesting out there. Um, let's do a quick market update. Um, market is still extremely busy. We're still seeing lots of transactions come through my office. Um, we're still not seeing a lot of properties come onto the market. There's still a shortage of listings. However, we are seeing the number of new listings increase, which is a great sign. Um, but we're still seeing a lot of multiple offers and we're still seeing the days on the market drop. Right now, we're looking at minus 14%, which means that properties are selling 14% faster than they did same time last year. We're seeing the number of showings up drastically, the number of offers up drastically. Um, and we're also seeing the number of transactions increase year over year as well, which is a great sign. Yeah, those are all great signs to a continuing strong market. And we always have to remind ourselves you know, you get sort of used to a peak at some point, and then we think those are the norms, but they're not the norms. They're not sustainable. It had to come down a little bit, and I think that's what we're experiencing now, but it's still a very good market. Lots of activity, lots of action. Our, everybody's busy in our office. We're going like crazy. Uh, we got month-end closings this week, so everybody's busy with that, and we'll be busy in November until the end of the year, I'm sure. And before you know it, we'll be in the spring market, which will give everybody a boost too. Absolutely. And the other statistic that everybody seems to be paying attention to and is probably the most important is the average price. And again, year over year, we're seeing it up 15%. Um, and right now the average price, um, according to my analytics, um, is 1,173,000 in, uh, in Mississauga, which is uh, an astronomical figure. And, you know, it's probably the highest I've seen it as well for, for Mississauga. And these are all property types as well. Uh, and I'm sure with all your experience and expertise, if someone would have asked you three years ago, if that's where the prices would be today, like not you or anybody else could have possibly predicted this, right? That the prices, that that would be the average price in Mississauga right now. No yeah. chance. I mean, it's, uh, you know, nobody has a crystal ball and nobody really uh, can tell where the market's going. But one key indicator that we all seem to be talking about right now is inflation. You know, and inflation is partially responsible for these prices being um, going in, in, in an upward trend like they are. 
right? And inflation really encompasses everything, encompasses, you know, materials, encompasses labor, there's development levies and charges, and all these expenses contribute to the average price, uh, you know, trending upwards over time. Yeah. And, and there's still, right now, everybody's experienced a lot of shortages of materials. Forget about shortages of supply of houses on the market, but there's a lot of shortages of material in general right now. Some of this is just COVID fallout and things like that. There's just a supply shortage going on everywhere, and that's pushing prices up and, and, um, and, and I think driving inflation to some degree too. So that'll have to settle down. It probably will at some point as, as production continues and people are back at work and and uh, crank up productivity and, and get more supply of materials out. So, you know, a lot of this is cyclical and it'll calm down, but right now we're, we're feeling it and that's helping to push up pricing for a lot of items, including housing. Yeah, and it's really handcuffing certain um, homeowners that are doing renovation projects and are doing um, projects around the house. There is only a certain choice they have as to what type of finishes, what kind of faucets they're putting in, what type of wood they're putting in. And it's having an effect on, on, on driving the prices of what is available out there and, and it's impacting uh, inflation in, in a big way. And today was another uh, key day that you know I was really keeping an eye on because today was the date that the Bank of Canada announced their monetary and their inflation, uh, sorry, their interest rate policy um for uh for 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 the economy and they made the decision to keep the interest rate unchanged at 0.25 percent the bank rate which is the rate that the bank of canada lends money to the major financial institutions um, and this is also the rate that a lot of variable mortgages are are pegged to so um, um i don't know what are you surprised that the bank of canada kept the rate the same well, I'm sort of happy to hear that. You know, I, I was sort of expecting they might move it up marginally, um, but I know that there's a real reluctance to move it at all because it, it doesn't take much to stop an economy or slow down an economy. And if it shows, you know, if you see that there's a trend of it creeping up, even if it's done slowly, that starts to have an effect. And usually there's an immediate rush for people to get some transactions closed before the rates go even higher. So it creates a lot of activity. But that's usually followed by a lull because it starts to get more expensive. But I think the government's very, you know, being very careful. They don't want to do anything that's going to slow the economy down right now. They want to, you know, like keep it things affordable and keep the economy moving. So maybe that's part of the, the thought process. But I'm, you know, as a business owner, um, I'm happy to, to hear that they're leaving it where it is. I, mean, I don't think we want anything to slow the economy down. We want everybody's getting back to work, things are, productivity's ramping up. Uh, you know, we want there to be a real active market. We want people to have incentives still in place to go and buy the next house that they want to move in. So I think for our industry, it, it, that's great news. No, I, I agree completely. And I think the message that the Bank of Canada really put out to, to the marketplace is that they believe that a lot of the um, effects that we're feeling right now are, are temporary in nature. Right, so we mentioned the supply issues. I mean, those are temporary uh, issues that we're we're facing right now. Um, chip shortages in China and production shortages and raw material shortages. Uh, ports are closed, right? So there is a delay, and that's causing undue pressure on certain materials. Um, but 
in their statement, I think they said that they believe that this is a, a temporary um, situation that we're in. And, and I think that's why, you know, they're approaching it a little bit more in a cautionary uh, fashion, which I think is great for our industry, right? I mean, I think, um, you know, um, because variable mortgages are tied to the Bank of Canada, right? I think this is going to um, be a positive for many Canadians to have open mortgages and, and variable mortgages out there and, and keep affordability down. Yeah, and a lot of people have variable mortgages right now or, vari or, or variable interest rates tied to a line of credit. Some have a mortgage and they might also have a line of credit and the mortgage might be a fixed rate, but they may also have a line of credit that they're using for the renovation or for to get money for a deposit on the next property, et cetera. So uh, it's good news for all of them if the rates stay down, because once the rates start creeping up, it, there's going to be an effect of slowing the housing market down for sure and it'll have an effect on earnings. So that's good news. I'm glad, uh, nice of you come up with some good news today. <laughs> Thanks, Dave, absolutely. Um, the other good news I got was uh, one of my mentors uh, gave me a call yesterday and um, uh, he's looking for a beautiful penthouse apartment in Toronto, which is very timely for the conversation that we're having because we're talking about pre-construction industry. And uh, I went online and I, and I looked at what's out there and I was actually able to find an apartment at 16 Harbor Street. Uh, this is a pinnacle development. And it's actually really interesting because the building was actually built 11 years ago. The penthouses were uh, furnished and, and finished six years ago and they've still never been occupied. So I managed to find him a two-story penthouse. It's about 4,700 square feet, six parking spaces. And this particular apartment has its own private swimming pool and hot tub and a rooftop terrace on the 55th floor with uh, 360 degree views of Toronto. It's absolutely spectacular. Yeah, that's gotta be something to see. It's really a fairly remarkable story that the building has been in use and occupied for that long already, but yet the, this unit has remained vacant. That, it, that would be the first occupier of that unit. But I guess, you know, it's a pretty exclusive unit. There's a very limited market for people that would be looking at that type of unit. There probably isn't another one in the city that would be comparable with that with its own swimming pool up at the top like that. It's certainly a very unique unit. And uh, I, I think, um, you know, it's an interesting story, even from a business point of view or from the uh, pre-construction, from the builder point of view, the fact that the builder made um, a choice to hang on to that unit for as long as they did. Uh, to me, that shows a lot of strength um, and, and belief in our real estate market. Um, I, I spoke to the listing agent and he told me that regular inquiries for, for leasing, and they also get regular inquiries for movies to be shot in the apartment, and the builder said, absolutely no way, I want this unit to be completely untouched, I want it to be never occupied, and we're looking for that one um, buyer that's really going to want to have a statement property in Toronto um, with, you know, never repeated amenities, like the whole 55th floor has a giant, I mean, like a giant swimming pool, not a little swimming pool, but this is like a lap pool. They have their own HVAC system that controls the temperature and the humidity level in the pool. They have their own cleaning service that comes 
four times a week to maintain the pool and make sure the water is just right and perfect and it's all part of your maintenance fees and uh, and your costs so um, you know, I have an appointment to show it next Wednesday at 2 p.m. And, uh, you know, I don't sell a lot of real estate anymore. This is, you know, my mentor. It's, it's somebody that uh, I've looked up to for, for a really long time. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited. I'm really excited about showing this unit and, and, and taking him to see uh, this, uh, this penthouse next Wednesday. That'll be pretty exciting. I'd like to, to see the pictures and the videos you have of this unit. Um, you know, and I'm sure they probably put some extra measures in to make sure that when he's swimming in the pool, the water doesn't drip down onto people in the lower floors. And from this pool, you got to have lots of, uh, lots of sealant uh, in there to make sure that, to look after that too. So it'll be quite an interesting property to see. I'm sure it's got some spectacular views as well, you know, given its location and it's, you know, views of the lake, views of the rest of the city, you know, views looking uh, north. From that, it'll probably be more spectacular than the view south of the lake, right? Because we'll see the whole city from from up there, I'm sure. Yeah, and it's the only apartment on on the whole floor, so it's uh, it's quite special. Like you, you don't yeah. see properties like this coming on the market very often, and um, you know there is a big chunk and then a substantial cost to upkeep and the maintenance costs of an apartment like this. So. Um, you know, we see a lot of builders uh, chopping these apartments up and, and, you know, making them to smaller suites that are a little bit more accessible to everybody and easier to sell and, 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 and more of a market segment for those type of apartments. We certainly don't see, um, you know, anything like this being sold as one unit very often. And I mean, it took 11 years to, you know, really get it to a point where the market has caught up to the value. And the listing agent said to me, David, like we've had, I think, six showings in the last two weeks, which is more than we've had in the last uh, uh, seven years combined. Right. So that just shows me where the market's heading. It, it shows me what type of people are, are looking into these mega uh, real estate properties in Toronto. And, and my argument is that, you know, Toronto become such a long way that, you know, we are in the same conversation as New York City, as Los Angeles, as, you know, some of the other mega cities that other people want to live in. Um, and, and we keep hearing it over and over and over. We keep hearing it from, you know, Drake, and we keep hearing it from some of the Raptors and some of the other NBA stars and, that have left us. I mean, Kawhi Renner, Leonard, to this day, whenever a reporter asks him in, about his time in Toronto, I mean, he just can't speak with enough accolades about, you know, our city and the culture and what it was like winning a championship here. And I, I, I just think that Toronto has been put on the map in such a global uh, scale. And uh, uh, I'm excited to, to see what uh, the future has in store for our real estate. Yeah. And you got to remember too, Toronto's always had a history of, of a, a, a fairly wealthy segment as well. So all the, the, you know, a lot of the homeowners that had these mega properties in, in the middle of Toronto, like on the bridal path and, you know, those areas, and there's areas like that out in Oakville and in the surrounding areas too. At some point, you know, they become empty nesters too. And some of them are, are, are finished with living in those mega houses. And now they're looking in the next market and they want to be downtown in some of these large, unique type of condos. So, you know, there's some of that that's going on too. I, I did one, it's got to be 20 years ago. It was, uh, I won't mention a name, but he, but it was also a two-story condo downtown. 
didn't have a pool, but it had just about every other bell and whistle possible. He was a, a former Olympic champion, a major star, major Canadian hero. And, uh, and he bought a, a condo, a two-story condo. It was one of the, you know, the first ones that I remember downtown. It was about 20 years ago with all the bells and whistles. It was on two, like two full floors. Right. And uh, like wh what a place for entertaining and everything. And big, big patios and, and outdoor space. Not patios, we call them terraces and things like that. So different market, okay? Then, you know, we're, we're talking about our pre-construction time. We're talking about some of these small little, you know, one bedroom, two bedroom, or studio den type of condos. And there's so much of that in the city. We're going to talk about it with pre-construction and everything, but it's nice to know there's the, the high end of, of the market as well. Yeah, and talking about high end, you know, we were, I was talking to one of my pre-construction specialists here at the brokerage that does over 200 pre-construction properties a year. And he told me that there's two projects coming out in Toronto. One is selling for $2,300 a square foot. One is selling for $3,200 a square foot. Now, I mean, those are unprecedented numbers, like completely unprecedented. But I mean, the trend is that, you know, these pre-construction prices per square foot are, are, you know, really trending upwards in a big way. Yeah, like that's sort of mind boggling that, uh, <laughs> you know, per square foot, and, and these aren't small square footages. So you put the yeah. numbers together and it's, it's a lot of, a lot of dough. Yeah. So and they're generally paying cash on these transactions too, right? So yeah. Oh, you better believe it. I mean, yeah. you know, my mentor is it's gonna be a cash transaction, right? When he buys this place. And um, you know, all the credit to him. I mean, you know, he was looking at um a mega mansion on the water in Oakville. And after you know, showing him several properties, he just decided that um, you know, he has a beautiful cottage in Muskoka that he spends a lot of his time. And he just didn't want to maintain and upkeep a second property in Oakville, right? And he, right. he's traveling. He's traveling the world three months uh, of the year as well. He's, he's not here. He's enjoying retirement and enjoying his life and, and you know, having a condominium uh, on the 55th floor in Toronto with, with his own private pool and, and, and patio and six parking spaces and, and, and beautiful city views is, is a lifestyle choice. Right. It's just a lifestyle choice on a, on a different level. And I've got a, a client recently doing the same type of thing. It's a big, huge property in, in the city, but he's got a, a cottage that was rebuilt in the Muskoka's also area. And it's, you know, it's like a $14 million cottage or something like it's, it's an estate property up there. And he's spending more and more time up there where he's got access to a golf course right beside it he can he has a golf cart and go from his cottage to a to a golf course um, like a club link golf course in his backyard basically and that's the lifestyle so he wants to spend most of his time there so you know he's he, he, the plan is to sell the house in the city and do a and do a condo and he'll also be looking for that type of a of a luxury condo in the city so i think we're gonna we're gonna see a fair bit of that yeah, and, and like you said, you know, people that live in the bridal path or in Forest Hill or, um, you know, in, in these exclusive areas in the city, I, I think, you know, there's going to be a trend that they're going to be selling those houses. And let's be honest, those houses, you know, uh, are worth a pretty penny as well. I mean, they're right. worth a lot of money. 
Right. So, I mean, you can buy three condos um, if you sell some of those properties. And, and I think we're going to see that trend intensify in the, in, 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 in the time uh, uh, coming. Yeah. Yeah. Let's jump into our previous discussion. I know we okay. were talking about pre-construction condos and, you know, I wanted to share my story. I, I thought it was very timely that I'm showing this mega pen, uh, uh, penthouse. Um, and uh, really what, uh, what comes to mind here, David, is I, I, you know, let's start and, and, and talk about occupancy date. What is an occupancy date when we're talking about pre-construction condominiums? Yeah, well, for, for a condo, the way the system works, there are generally two closings. One is the occupancy closing, which is a time when you actually get the keys and can move in and live there. And then there's a second closing, which we usually call the final closing. And that's the time when the title actually gets transferred to the homeowner and they get their mortgage at that time. And the reason that it's done in the two stages uh, usually is because the physical condo is often ready for people to live in. And like it's habitable, it meets all the standards for, to move in before the condominium is actually registered. It's an extremely complex process to register a condominium. There's just so many municipal governmental um, checks that they have to go through to get it registered. So that usually lags behind. Um, the registration of a condo lags behind the time when it's physically ready for people to start moving into. So the system was created that when it's physically ready to move in, people can move in, get their keys, but they can't uh, register a mortgage. They don't even pay the final amount that they owe the builder on closing. So they're allowed to move in and they pay an occupancy fee for a period of time until the condominium is registered. And at, once it gets registered, then they can put their mortgage on, they'll get title, they put their mortgage on, they can get the balance of the money over to the builder. And that's the final closing. So in the meantime, they pay this occupancy fee, which is based on the estimated common expenses or monthly common expenses or maintenance fees that they'd be paying anyways, their estimated property taxes. And the third component is interest that on the balance that they still owe the builder because they're not paying the builder all the money that they would pay them on closing. So until they can pay them, the builder charges them interest on that amount that's still owed. And the rate isn't something that's negotiable between the builder and the home buyer. It's a rate established by the government through the Condominium Act and they post a rate and that's what the rate is. It's just a conventional interest rate. So they're not getting hammered with an interest rate at that point in time, they're paying a, you know, a conventional interest rate. And then sometimes it's three, six months, sometimes it's a year after they've actually moved in, then we finally have the final closing. And that's when they get title to the property, they get their mortgage, they pay the balance to the builder and the property is theirs. It's actually quite an ingenious way of, of solving um, a couple of problems, right? I mean, the first problem you're solving is that um, you know, you're giving the, the, the new buyer a place to live, right? Before all the um, um, technicalities and everything is completed, right? Yeah. Um, the second problem that you're solving is you're helping the builder um, carry the, the construction and, and, and put money into their pocket so they can fund the rest of the finishes and fund the project and then start paying back some, um, some debt servicing before they actually receive any further money uh, for the closing for the units as well. So, I mean, those two things are, are really important. They pay, play a fundamental role in, you know, how that occupancy date is really structured. 
Right. Um, where an agent can add a lot of value here is I always encourage my agents to buy on the top floor. And that's why some of the top floors are more expensive is because a builder always works from the ground up to finish a condominium building. So the higher you go, the least of an occupancy uh, date that you have to pay for before your final closing. So if you buy on the penthouse level or the sub penthouse level, um, chances are you don't even get an occupancy date where you're paying the builder a rate. You go straight into your final closing. At that time, the building's almost complete anyways. So there's a little bit of a, a timbit of information. When you are buying in a pre-construction builder, try to buy on the higher floor because that's going to limit the duration that you pay that occupancy fee. Yeah, and that's great advice. And like you pointed out too, you're generally paying more for the higher floors as well as, the, as you move up. It could be the same physical unit, but as you go up, the views are a little bit better and, and, and things like that. So you're generally paying a little more for that too, but that's, that's good advice. And the other thing is uh, generally when they start the occupancy, uh, it means that the dwelling units themselves are fit for habitation. A lot of times all the amenities in the building are not completed. You know, there may not be a swimming pool in the building ready to use. There may not be a fitness center. There may not be, you know, some of the lobby may not be fully done and things like that. But, you know, there will be places to park the cars and the elevators will be working and you can physically get up and down and in and out. But, but there's certain inconveniences that go along with that because not all the amenities are usually complete and you have to close and you have to move in and, and start paying your, your occupancy fee. But that's not very different from, you know, when you move into a subdivision, you know, when you first move in, you know, there's some things that aren't done. You know, the driveway hasn't been paved and the grass is usually not put on the lawn yet and you're living in mud and things like that. There's some inconveniences <laughs> that go along with that too. So it's not that different. Yeah. And that's sort of a small price to pay for people that want to get into a brand new property. Yeah, you take a Kleenex and you run it through your floors and you just, you look and it's all brown because, you know, you're living in a construction site and, and, and exactly. dust, dust exactly. is flying through the air. And, and but you know what, it's, it's one of those things that you just have to put up with. Um, yeah. um, but one thing I did want to point out, David, and you bring up an excellent point is uh, we're, we're ourselves in trouble is when there's an occupancy um, closing and the unit goes for rent. And sometimes what I've seen happen when the tenant comes in, they have the expectation that they're gonna have these world-class amenities at their disposal. And for the first year, for the first six months, for the first month, uh, amenities are closed. And we, we see a lot of pushback in, in this regard. So if, uh, if you are looking to list a pre-construction condo where you have occupancy uh, closing and you wanna rent it out, you know, really set expectations. And, and, and I would say set, set expectations on paper because you don't want the tenant to expect these amenities to be open only to find out that they're not, that they have to wait. And it causes a lot of, uh, um, negative feelings between the landlord and the tenant. And we've seen some agents really get into trouble with this. Yeah, that, that's a great point, David. And, and I'll even take that back a step too, because first thing we got to find out is can a tenant occupy it as of the occupancy date? Most of the times builders 
forms of agreement of purchase and sale prohibit that. They say that you cannot lease it out until after the final closing. And sometimes it goes on to say, unless you get the prior written consent of the builder. And sometimes there's a bunch of terms and conditions attached to that. So that's one of the things that we look at when we review the agreements of purchase and sale. You know, something the agents have to look at, something lawyers certainly look at when it comes to our level, because that's one of the things that's really critical to some people. And, uh, and sometimes it's a negotiating point where a builder might say, yeah, we will allow you to rent it out as of occupancy, as long, as long as certain terms and conditions are met, and that has to be spelled out in the agreement or an amendment to the agreement. And sometimes there's a clear prohibition, no, you just can't. And you, you can lease it out after the final closings. After final closing, it's your property. You can do what you want with it. But during the occupancy, a lot of times there's a restriction on that. And the same thing on assigning units, which we could talk about too. There's usually a clear prohibition against it in most standard builder agreements and purchase and sales. So it's one of the things the agents have to look at when they're helping a buyer. And one of the things that the lawyers have to look at to find out, can you do this? And if you can, what terms and conditions are attached to it? Because sometimes it makes it prohibitive. Sometimes it's just something that can be negotiated. Yeah. I want to peel that back even more, David, because I think it's such an such a interesting point that we're talking about right now. And, and, you know, I have agents coming to me with these questions asking me why. Why are they not allowing this? Why are they not allowing assignment? Why are they not allowing, um, you know, tenants to occupy during uh, the occupancy period, right? And there's a reason for it, right? And the reason for it is that uh, just like in the example I gave of my mentor looking at this mega um, apartment, a lot of the times the builder will hold back suites for themselves or be in a position where they're not sold on all their inventory. They still have you know, these penthouses available, they still have these odd suites that, you know, are not that sellable for whatever reason. And they don't want to compete with everybody else as purchased a unit in the building uh, in selling those suites, right? So a lot of the times they put these measures in place to safeguard themselves and to protect their own inventory from competition. I mean, you can imagine if a builder has 10 suites left and they're doing their, their hardest to sell them. And all of a sudden, you know, before they uh, register the building, you know, another 30 suites come on the market, right? And all of a sudden the builder is now in competition with, with other people for the sale of those suites. So it is a way for the builder to protect their inventory. The, the other thing I see happening a lot is when the building's under construction, there's a lot of areas that are really exposed in the building. There's construction going on, you know, certain suites are, are left open, amenities are, um, you know, half finished, and, and, and um, there's a lot of um, probability for, for accidents happening, right? And the builder wants to control who's in the environment, who's coming, who's going, who's coming in there is, you know, it, a tenant that has no vested interest in the ownership of the building is more likely to cause problems or, you know, to, to, to damage property or, 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 or to do certain things where is an owner um, would have a more vested interest to, to protect certain property and, and to conduct themselves in a certain way because they know that, you know, they're part of the building. You know, it's, it's a long-term play for them. 
versus a tenant has a very different mentality when it comes to those things. And again, builders are very cognizant of these factors and these rules are there to protect themselves from these situations. Right, and those are all really good points, David. And it goes back to something we talked about in last week's podcast. Uh, in order for the builder to get their financing, they, there's certain thresholds they have to meet just to get their construction financing going over. So the last, you know, if they need 75% or 80% sold or 90% sold, whatever that threshold is, the last thing they want is anybody competing with their sales. So, you know, they're, they're usually there's usually a clear no to any assignments unless there's certain conditions applied um, until they get their construction finance and get it going. And sometimes, you know, down the road, once they've met those thresholds, sometimes they'll relax some of those rules and they'll give more, uh, a little more latitude on people that want assignments or want to rent it out because they're already well under construction. They got their finance, but they don't want you competing. And even, um, you know, what we're experiencing too, when they do consent to an assignment or consent to allow you to rent it out, some of the conditions really make it restrictive too. They'll say, yeah, you can assign it, but you can't put it on MLS, okay? Right. You can't market it under any social media, any multi-listing systems at all. And they're, so they're saying, yeah, go ahead, you can assign it, but we're gonna put you in handcuffs to do it. And so they're saying you, you, you can get an agent to do it, but you know the agent can be one of your agents and you can, that agent can certainly advertise it within your own office. You've got 250 agents there and they can all be, can know about it and they might find an ability to assign it to someone internally, but you're not allowed to go on social media. You can't do a, a multiple listing to do it. And they're really strict about those things. And when people ignore that and do that, we get letters all the time from builders saying, hey, your client's in default. They, we saw it on MLS or we saw it on WeChat or we saw it on, uh, on Facebook or some other social media. And they're saying, you're in default we're terminating your agreement of purchase and sale. We're keeping your deposits. We're going to list it, sell it to somebody else. And then we're going, what? Wait, hang on a second. We got to write them back and explain how nice these people are and how they, they misinterpreted. They didn't mean to do it. We agree not to do it anymore. Don't terminate us and we'll find another way. But this happens all the time because those, the language in those clauses are really prohibitive, very restrictive on how you're going to do it. Even when they're giving you permission they're saying, go ahead and do it, but we're going to put you in handcuffs. So that's, that's when you guys as agents really earn your, your value because you got to find a way to, to find a tenant or find someone to, to, that'll do an assignment without advertising it the way you would normally want to do it. Yep. And in those situations, the strength of the brokerage really comes into play because, you know, if you have a closed Facebook group, if you have you know, some sort of a community advertising board, if, if your office participates in exclusive listings uh, service uh, through, through a number of different companies where you can circulate listings internally, you know, that gives you an avenue to really expose that unit in a closed environment and adhere to those rules and follow those rules and make sure that you don't break any of those regulations. Because like you said, David, you know, we are seeing builders come down hard, terminate these uh, transactions. And a lot of times there's so much appreciation built up over the last three, four years uh, that the builder is just basically saying, well, listen, you broke the rules and you know what they are. We're terminating you, you know, we're going to relist at a higher price and then we're keeping your deposit and they're well within the rights to do that. 
They're absolutely within their right. So the builders in a win-win situation because they can take advantage of the appreciation and value. And especially in these condo projects, it could be three, five years later where this is taking place and the values have gone up. Um, so, you know, they don't like losing a sale. And a lot of times we're able to convince them, no, you know, we'll play nice in the sandbox. We won't do that anymore. Our client will behave. We won't do that. Please don't terminate us. And a lot of times we have success doing that. But but the, you know, the builders would have no hesitation taking those units back. They're not going to lose money on them. They're going to sell them for a higher amount and they're going to keep the deposits that they've received. That's a significant amount. So we have got to be very careful in those situations with clients when we're advising both of you as an agent, the real estate agent, both as lawyers, saying you've got to be aware of the assignment provisions. You've got to be aware of the, the limitations on renting it out and the timing and when you can do it. Uh, one other reason why they control some of this, you mentioned this too, is sometimes the builder's consent says, yeah, okay, you can list it, or sorry, you can rent it out, but you can't do it through your own agent. We have, we have an, our own internal uh, agent that wants to do it, and you can only do it through them. And I know this gets you guys really upset when we run across those things. And that's really sort of a money grab too, because they say, fine, if someone's going to make a commission on it, we want to do that internally instead of, or through a, a relationship they've got with a brokerage that's sort of their in-house brokerage and they're trying to cut out, um, you know, some of the commissions that are being paid. Right. Sharing them, right? Right. Well, you know what, David, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we try to really empower our customers and, and work in their best interest. Um, so we always like to get involved in these transactions and advocate and negotiate and, and, and help our clients through it. And I think the partnership with your company and, you know, hearing that you guys are successful in terms of, you know, quelling some of these concerns that builders have and getting the builder back to the table and having these conversations is really important. And, uh, you know, you're a good law firm, because if you approach that situation incorrectly uh, and approach it from a different point of view and, and, and try to fight with these builders, um, you're going to lose. And so will the client. Yeah. And, and, that's, that's a great point too. And as it turns out, you know, as big a city as Toronto is in the GTA, there's generally only a handful of law firms that act for these builders on these condo projects. And we come across these firms all the time. And, and our volume is such that on most of these projects, we've, we're not acting for one party, one buyer in there, we're acting for multiple parties in there. And that gives us as a firm a lot of leverage too, because when we contact the builders' lawyers in this, like they know who we are. I've got personal relations with a lot of the lawyers. I've, you know, some of these firms, uh, the lawyers that act for these uh, builders are former partners of mine in, in an earlier life. Uh, we, were, we were downtown together. So when I tell them, here's the story with, with the buyer and here's their situation, and we're trying, you know, we need more time, we need an extension, or we need a right to assign, or we need the right to. It, we generally get them to listen because they know they're not bullshitting them. They know we're not, you know, we're, we're, we're giving them the straight goods. We're not trying to pull a fast one. We're not a fly by night law firm. We've got a reputation and we wouldn't do anything like that. So we're going to give them the straight goods and we're going to explain it to our clients the right way and not, uh, you know, not try and do anything that we shouldn't be doing. And that's not what they get, ex what they experience with everybody. So I think that, that serves our clients well. You know, we can't always get the result they want, but more often than not, we can. But we can explain the rights to them properly and know they know that we've gone to bat for them 
and we've pushed things as far as we can, and then we're explaining the rights and we're making helping them make the best decision they can. Absolutely, and that makes a world of a difference. I mean, it's you know the, this whole world is all about relationships. You know, very much relationship driven, and um, you know I love the fact that you guys take that approach. You know, because when you take a different approach and say, well, you know, we're within our rights, and when you look at those contracts and the way they're written, they're written one hundred percent in favor of the builder. Right. If you ever litigate or if you ever go to court or, you know, uh, you go down that path, I mean, you're going to lose. Right. Right. And look, we're always, we touched on a little bit last week in our part of our review with Mr. Purcell is negotiating on the whole bunch of adjustments that are passed on from builders to the buyers. Okay. And every builder does it. And there's adjustment clauses and sometimes there's 20 items or more that are adjusted costs that are passed on and sometimes they're possible costs and we're trying to negotiate these down as much as we can the agents are trying to do it we take a kick at the can as well when we're doing our negotiation so it but it helps for us to have a relationship with some of the builders lawyers and we say you know look this is what we're looking for on this project we're going to be acting for a number of, of buyers um you know, all we can ask is we want you to give us as much as they'd be giving to anybody else. And usually they'll, they'll say yes to something like that. You know, we're not asking for things that you're not, that you're not going to give to anybody, but we don't want to get less for our clients than they would possibly give to anybody. And we don't have to negotiate it every single time fresh. You know, you know who we are, you know, what we're going to be asking for. Here's the, the reasonable request that we're making. We're not going to ask you for stupid things. And, uh, and, and let us know what the real story is and how far the builder's prepared to go. So we don't waste your time, you don't waste our time, and we're gonna get the best deal for the buyers that we can. And that's sort of the approach that we take. No, it's great. It's, and it's the right approach as well. I think it's all about building that relationship and you know, protecting your client and working in their best interest, which is you know, exactly what um, you know, we all strive to do. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about a little bit about the Tarian rights, Tarian uh, warranty rights. How does that apply when you're looking at pre-construction real estate? Well, the Tarian rights have to be embedded in every single new construction agreement of purchase and sale. It's not an optional thing. There has to be a schedule attached that has the, the Tarian rights. And, and there's a few different elements to that. One is it sort of has to set out the, the timing for when the closing would be and in a condo it, the timing gets sort of complicated because there's this occupancy date and then eventually there'll be a final closing but when the builders first marketing it they don't know exactly what the occupancy date might be so they put in like a tentative occupancy date that eventually you'll get noticed it'll become a more permanent or official occupancy date and then eventually there'll be a final closing date and they'll name what an outside closing date. So you know the latest that these deals can be extended. It's really sort of a complicated process, but it's all set out in the schedule, Terrian schedules that are attached to the agreement of purchase and sale. And even though we have those dates set out, there are certain rights that a builder has to unilaterally extend some of those dates too. So buyers have to be aware of that, that they can, without giving, without the buyer having any say, they can't negotiate what the extension time frame is going to be. The builder has the right to make unilateral extensions up to a certain point and the buyer can't do anything about it. And then if it passes that limited right and they extend further, then there's different rights that apply to a, to a buyer who could potentially get out of a transaction. 
get their deposit money's back if it gets extended too far. So that's all described in, in the Tarian schedule. Another part of the Tarian schedule is uh, there's compensation that buyers might be entitled to because of some of these delays. At a certain point, the buyer, like I said, the builder can unilaterally extend. And at one point they cross that line, they're out of their extension rights. And now there might be some delayed compensation that's payable to a buyer and there's limited amounts. And, and that sort of set out in there as well. And then the, the next component, it, you know, it's going into termination rights. So when does the right of a, of a to terminate come in for a buyer's point of view? There's also provisions in there when a project uh, can be terminated by the builder, when they can pull the plug on the whole project and then return deposits. So there's, it's all set out in these tearing schedules. Okay, and then there's a Tarian Schedule B that has to be attached as well, which is the one that has to describe all these adjustments, these additional costs in, that are in addition to the purchase price that the builder is making the buyer responsible for. They have to clearly describe these in the Schedule B and set it out in sort of a summary form. Because before we had this Schedule B, the builders used to just bury these adjustments in in 30 pages of fine print in the agreement of purchase and sale. And now they can still be buried in there, but they have to summarize them all in a schedule B saying, you know, here's how much we're charging you for utility connections. And here much, here's how much we're charging you for the enrollment material. Here's how much we're charging you for uh, potential levies, uh, development levies, education levies, things like that. They've got to spell it out or at least put numbers to it or approximate amounts to it. And, and that schedule also refers you back into the agreement of purchase and sale, what section it is that they buried it in. So you can look at the full description of it, but it's, it's summarized. So these are all buyer protection provisions. You know, it really helps uh, a buyer to be able to see it. It helps a realtor find it easier to explain it to a buyer. It helps us as lawyers point to that and say, here's the summary, here's the cost. So that's all in these Tarian provisions. And the last element of the Tarian provision is really important, the Tarian warranty coverage itself, which is the guarantee of quality of workmanship and that, that the construction will be in accordance with the agreement of purchase and sale and all the follow-up things that have to be done by builder after closing even to make sure things are repaired properly and finished properly. The protection for buyer is all part of the Tarian process as well. Right. There in three minutes, I think I summarized what I usually take two hours to do in a webinar. <laughs> and I mean, there's a lot of components to it, um, but I mean, it, I think it really aims to create a more transparent um, process uh, for the buyer that they can really, um, at one glance, you know, read these two pages and, and have somewhat of an idea of what this whole agreement really encompasses in terms of fees closing dates and and you know how the buyers protected after they move in um and and just to summarize david do you remember what the coverage is for Terran home warranty what the different uh, time periods are i think it's uh, the first year or two years is is like a bumper to bumper coverage oh you're talking about the actual warranty coverage the actual warranty coverage yeah yeah there's certain things that that's a couple of years of coverage and then and then certain things are up to seven years for things like foundations and, and things like that. So um, it, it extends further. 
but but this is also the protection that buyers have like with, you know like we talked about moving in and everything's not completely finished whether you're in a subdivision or in a or in a condominium and builders can generally close once they cross a, a certain municipal requirement to make it habitable right okay and that definition changes from municipality to municipality but generally as a rule of thumb like in a subdivision in order for a builder to force you uh, to close there has to be water available, like running water in the house, uh, you know, and and a toilet that's working. And you have to be able to get in and out of the house properly and safely. So we've seen situations where you can't use the front door to the house because they haven't built the stairs properly, but there's an entrance to the house through the garage. So, the, so that's good enough to allow closing, okay? Not, buyer's not happy about it because they can't get their couch through the garage and, and their bed through the garage to move in. They've got to wait for the front door, you know, but, but a builder can still force someone to close because they can get in and out through another door. And then you have to have water available in the house. And sometimes we've seen that there's a toilet in, in a bedroom somewhere that functions and the only tap that works is the kitchen sink. But that's been enough in some municipalities to say the house is habitable. And the and the buyer the builder can say you know we're closing. Now there's a whole bunch of things that have to be finished still and fixed, and they'll have their their warranty inspection. There'll be a list of repairs and things that be done. And the builder has an obligation to do that, and that goes you know beyond the closing date. And if they don't, the protection for the buyer is again through the Tarian warranty program. So if they don't get it done. There's a mechanism for the buyers to go to Tarion and say, here's the story. Here's a list of outstanding items. We've made attempts, they haven't fixed it. And Tarion will put pressure on the builder to fix it. And if they don't, they've got security from the builder. They've got money sitting there and they'll use that to hire trades and get it fixed on behalf of the builder. And they will not grant the builder their next building permits if they have a history of not complying with their obligations. So there's pressure through this system on builders to follow through and make sure things get finished properly. And, and ultimately the buyer's protected. That's the buyer's protection. Yeah. And that's the, where we tell our clients to go when, they're, when they have complaints after closing that, that there's certain things that, that need repair or things haven't been finished. It's not through the legal process in terms of, of you know, getting a litigation lawyer to start a lawsuit against the builder. Like that's way, way down the road and hardly ever has to happen because the process is to push this through the Tarion and Tarion will get in touch with the builder and, and get the builder to finish these items. And if the builder doesn't, then Tarion will hire trades and get it done. There's money there available for them to get these things finished. Yeah. It's important to really keep track of timelines as well because there is a certain time period that you have to submit a claim. And if you don't submit a claim in that time period, then you lose the coverage as well, right? So yes. um, there's different steps to the home, uh, to the Terry and Noah home warranty. So like year one, I kind of call it like it's the bumper to bumper coverage. It requires the home to be constructed in a workmanlike manner and free from effects and material. It also protects against unauthorized substitutions, which basically means that the builder is not allowed to replace something that they advertise with something of lesser quality, but they're able to horizontally replace. So yes. you, know, you might not have a Moen uh, tap, but you're going to get something of equal or higher value. Um, 
It requires the home to be fit for habitation, protects against Ontario building code violation, and uh, it applies one year from the date of possession, right? And then year two is, is uh, you know, it's a little bit of a less substantial coverage. So year two protects against water penetration from basement foundation walls, uh, defects in materials that affect windows, doors, um, water penetration to the building envelope, covers electrical plumbing, heating delivery and distribution systems, uh, and covers work or materials that results in detachment, displacement, or deterioration of exterior cladding. And again, uh, violations of Ontario uh, building code that, that affect health and safety. That's the two-year coverage. Right. And, and part of the process is before closing, there'll be an inspection that the buyer will do. It's like a pre-inspection that's done under tearing you to walk through with the builder. And at that time you make a list, the buyer would make a list of anything that they that's apparent to them. Now, generally they're not bringing in a, a professional inspector to do that on their behalf. They just walk around sometimes with their agents with them and they walk around and make a list of anything that looks like it's deficient, needs repair or anything that's not finished, yeah. okay? There's another one 30 days after closing where they, they can submit another form because a lot of the times you're not going to see things or they're not going to be apparent to you until you actually move in and try things out and everything. So there's another inspection you do 30 days after you send another report in and the report goes to the builder, but it also goes right into Tarion as part of the record. And then at the end of the first year of ownership, there's another opportunity to inspect and put another list in for anything. Now, some of these things will get repaired during that first year. Some of these things won't, but as long as it's on one of those lists, Tarion will help a buyer to enforce to make sure that it gets fixed or finished properly, okay? And then there's those other items that, you know, that generally don't become apparent until way beyond. We're talking about problems with foundations and things like that. So, you know, they're not gonna, they may not see that in the first year, but it won't matter because there'll be coverage for that if it's two, three years later down the road when the problem actually arises, if it's, if it's one of those type of issues. Yeah. Yeah. So major defects are covered for seven years, structural damage and, 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 and load bearing elements of a building. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's a good system in the fact that, you know, buyers can really uh, enter a transaction. The deposit is fully protected. You know, they're protected. There's a warranty system in place. The whole process, the Condominium Act here in the home warranty, uh, it is geared towards buyers and it does protect everybody uh, to kind of move forward, buy something from a builder and go through this whole lengthy process. So, um, you know, we are seeing more and more people look at pre-construction projects and we are seeing agents um, becoming more and more familiar and, and, and building relationships with builders and, and offering pre-construction projects to their clients. Uh, and the trends are only going to continue to, uh, to rise because, um, David, I mean, there's less and less land available in the GTA. I mean, we have Lake Ontario to the south. You know, there's a lot of land that's protected by environmental protection agencies as well to the north. So, um, you know, we're still seeing amazing immigration numbers and people migrating into Ontario. And the trend is to keep building upward. Yeah, and, and there's going to be lots of new construction, um, you know, both within the city and in the outskirts of the city. 
Um, you know, there's lots of cranes when you, when you drive around right now, a lot of condominium projects on the go, that's going to continue. And I know I want to just make one other point before we wrap up uh, this discussion, because you and I talk about, about teamwork and our teamwork, you know, not only are we, you know, David and David on real estate, but, you know, we're one David with a real estate broker, one David with a law firm, but we talk about our teamwork between, between lawyer and agent all the time and how important it is. And, and it's, in, in new construction, it becomes really important for a lot of these reasons we've discussed. Like we're on the same team, we're both looking out for the clients and the same thing. And, and we both have a role to play on these new construction, reviewing the agreements, discussing rights to assign, explaining it to clients, discussing you know, rights to occupy and tenants rights, when you can lease it, things like that, discussing adjustments, uh, explaining the HST on a purchase price, HST rebates, how that works. There's so many issues. There's so many moving parts. And it's really critical that any buyer has a good team to work with. And, you know, and the team starts with their, with their agent, with their lawyer, eventually get to a mortgage broker and things like that. Um, but we're on the same team, actually same client, same buyer. And there's so many issues on new construction. So you got to get the right people helping you out. Yeah. And I think, David, next week, we're going to do part three on reconstruction. <laughs> and we're going to talk about assignments, how those work, how they get structured, how those deals get put together. Uh, we're also going to talk about HST and like HST rebates, because, I mean, that's, you know, a, a big topic as well. And yeah. normally each and, one and of these... Assignments have a big effect on that, too. So oh, it's, it's really part of that. It's worthwhile discussing it. It's yeah, very absolutely. And we're going to continue talking about the psychology of, of selling pre-construction next week as well. So guys, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I don't mean to cut you off, Dave, but you know, we talked about good news and you were the bearer of some good news earlier. And I'd be remiss if I didn't pass on officially my public good news on a personal level today. Um, my daughter had a baby last night and I'll, I'll get emotional talking about it, but it's, one of those life-changing things. So this is my, my fifth grandchild. I know that'll surprise a lot of people listening to these podcasts or, or watching it once we're on uh, on YouTube or wherever else we're going to be. They're going to say, how could that guy possibly have five grandchildren, right? That's going to be the, the big <laughs> takeaway from this. But this is my fifth grandchild, third one for my daughter, a beautiful baby girl born late last night. So we're so excited and it's so nice to be able to share that information and because that's really what life's all about, okay? You know, that's what I do every day. My first job is being, uh, being a good husband to my wife and being a good dad to my kids and being a good granddad to my grandkids and a good friend to my friends. And, and then the rest of the time I have during the day, I try and be a good businessman, a good partner to my partner and, and a good leader in my community. But it starts with my family. So I'm just happy and honored to, to share that good news with everybody. Yeah, David, I'm, I'm glad you took a few minutes and you mentioned that. And um, my, my sincerest con uh, congratulations. Um, I'm glad that mom is healthy and uh, I'm glad baby's healthy as well. And, and yeah. we're all extremely, extremely, extremely happy for you. Um, and like you said, there's, there's nothing better out there than, um, you know, life, right? Right. right. That, that's what it's life is all about. And uh, congratulations. I, I, I'm shocked. I, I mean, I knew you're a grandfather. <laughs> I had no idea you had five grandkids. Uh, that's, that is 
absolutely phenomenal. Congratulations. And number always, six is on the way. We'll oh, be updating yes. everybody in February, hopefully, and uh, we'll keep it going. Keep the good news going. That's that's amazing, David. Congratulations yeah. Thank you. from everybody here. Thank yeah. you. Give mom a big hug from us as well. Will do. Looking forward to next week. As am I. Stay safe, everybody. Um, have lots of kids and buy <laughs> real estate. <laughs> Stay safe, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.